0: Each generation through its trials and its triumphs, valleys and plateaus provides a trove of lessons for the generations that follow them. We advance by building on the work of those who have gone before us, and many of them are still among us
1: to put us on game. Gen Activist is an intergenerational podcast presented by Rosa Rebellion, a platform for creative activism by and for women of color.
2: Imagine it as a historical digital archive remastered for contemporary use and permanent preservation. These are our stories, told for us, by us. You're listening to Gen Activists. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the pod, everyone. We're super excited to have you listening to season two, episode two of Gen Activists. Um, we have such a great episode with Maya Watson, who's the head of global marketing for Clubhouse. If you don't know about Clubhouse, it is a new social platform. It is an app you download to your phone and it's all talking. It's all interacting um, via voice. And so it is a great platform. I've been on that for a while. It's a lot of fun. If you don't know about it, download it, create a profile and start to interact with people Um all over the globe on a range of topics, it's phenomenal. Um, So we really enjoyed that conversation. We enjoyed having people in the audience to chat with um, who were able to send us messages and that was really cool to have people actually in the living room. But first, we're gonna have you listen in to a conversation between Virginia, G. Mom and I as we reflect on what it felt like to see Justice Ketanji Jackson be confirmed as the first black woman of the Supreme Court of the United States. And, as always, Justice is in the room, so you're going to hear a little bit of her cooing. Justice is my daughter, for those of you who don't know. Um, And a little bit of her in the background. And finally, I'm a little sick. I sound a little sick here. I was a little sick when we recorded um, our reflections about Justice Jackson. And so you'll hear a little bit of a difference in my voice there. All right, listen in. Hey, y'all. So since the last time we talked, I'm so excited that I get to talk to y'all about this now. I've been waiting we uh, Justice Jackson is confirmed. Um, So we have the first black woman on the Supreme Court. Um, It took like, way, way, way too long. As a black uh, female attorney, it obviously has just such a special meaning to me. um, Mm -hmm. To think about, you know, now, if you know, we go argue before the Supreme Court, which is, you know, usually the highest honor in a lawyer's career there's someone who looks like us up there. Um, so it it felt like, you know, I said this in the pot, which, um, you know, the audience will hear in a little bit, but it really did feel like the night the Obamas got elected, um, just like that feeling of, of just like complete exuberance and joy and like disbelief um, that they actually did it. But then also like a little bit of fear you know, a little bit of like, oh man, like what's this going to be like for her? But I think like she's strong, she's she's ready to go. Um, and so I don't know, it's just an amazing moment. And all the people who are like mad on the interwebs, um you know, they can They can stay mad. <laughs> they can stay mad, stay mad.
1: Uh, which reminds me, I don't know if y'all, you recall, Megan, I'm sure you do. This is probably like eight or nine years ago. But when we at the University of Texas were fighting Um, a case that did go before the Supreme Court around affirmative action. And there was that hashtag stay mad Abby, because it was a response to um, this particular white student who was suing uh, the school because she believed that she did not get into the University of Texas because of affirmative action that some other black or brown student, not that she wasn't qualified, but that someone took her spot. And So this idea of like, stay mad, I think is kind of where my disposition was when um, Justice Jackson was uh, finally um, affirmed and confirmed. And I think it's because, you know, when we think about the process, like we got to see it in real time, which I think is, you know, something that's still relatively new, being able to watch these confirmation hearings on television, then also be in conversation with folks on social media, Megan, I know you and I, our friend group text is always blowing up about all the things happening. And just to watch, also the multi-generational component of it, like to watch her daughters watch their mother go through just the incredible, inhumane, disrespectful process of watching mostly white men um, really express their frustration and their own inadequacies around her. And then to see her actually get confirmed, it was just, it felt like such a victory. It felt like such a affirmation, even as a Black woman who doesn't practice law, right, but has sat in similar rooms, right, has attended PWIs where you have that type Mm. of conflict happen. And so I remember when it happened, the thing I posted on Instagram was this idea of, like even in the face of the nays, right? These, you know, because I think it was 51 to 47 was the final tally. And it's like, despite 47 nays of the most highly qualified person, not woman, person to ever come before the Supreme Court, um, we still rise. And that was just, it felt really encouraging around the work that we do is that we still rise even in the face of it.
0: Yeah there were so many dimensions to that moment in history, just so many. And I reflect on, first of all, the generations, how generations, I mean, I love that she gave credit to the generations, the ancestors, that um, sometimes we think we get where we are on our own. And so it was such a lesson to all of us that we get where we are based on the work of those who've gone before us. Uh, And she's trailblazing for the next generation. So I I thought of generations that was such a theme in hers. I was also struck by her her, uh, dilemmas sometime between career and motherhood, uh, and that she acknowledged it so many women you know, it, it, we've gone so far in extremes, um, and so when we talk about um, is it motherhood or career, and and you know, canceling one and accepting the other, but there, she's a woman who tried to make them both work, but admitting that she didn't do it perfectly, and I think that gave so many women permission that even when you do your best, you miss it sometimes uh, and you trust God for the final outcome. So I, I, I was struck by that so much. I also was struck that this is one of the last bastions of uh, white supremacy. It was the sacred place where you can't go. Uh, and it was, um, and it's just so marvelous that she was this combination of woman and black and the two merging and and in her represented. And it's almost as if white people feel if you invade the sacred temple, you are defiling it. You can't go in and yet she you know, history, and time, and ancestors, and her own will, said, I will go in. I know I talk about John Henry Clark all the time, but it was a moment where you've tried to tell us where our place is on the map of human geography, and she said, no, thank you. I'm going to determine my own place. It was such a moment of that. I I also
2: love that she's going in with dreadlocks, and her name is Ketanji. Yes. there there's all these things about you know respectability which is basically just what white people have deemed Uh um to be like them most like them um that she defies um and i just i absolutely love that and one of the things that like g-mom really made me angry though um was you know and i almost i'm conflicted about biden being as explicit about his intentions um, that he would only nominate a black woman. And when I realized why I was conflicted conflicted by it, I got even more angry because it really was just about the reaction of white people. I'm like, uh, don't say it out loud, just do it because then there's always gonna, for white people um, and people, and, uh, just anti-black people, period, you could be any race and be anti-black, even black, but there's this asterisk, right? There's this question about, well, you know, uh, race shouldn't have been a qualifier, and I, I hear, I'm seeing all this conversation online about, well, like, her race shouldn't have mattered, and, like, that shouldn't be a qualifier, but y'all didn't say nothing for over 100 years when race was used as a disqualifier, mm-hmm. when essentially we were kept out, not because we were not qualified, Justice Jackson is not the first qualified Black woman, right, mm-hmm. but when race and gender was used as a disqualifier, you had nothing to say. Mm -hmm. But now all of a sudden, you know, you're acting like she just got there because she is a Black woman and you're discounting or at least diminishing her extreme qualifications that, you know, now she will sit as the most qualified justice on the Supreme Court. You know, that's very, very frustrating for me. And I remember a few months back, Nicole Hannah-Jones tweeted about that. She was like, this is the conundrum, right, for Black people, is that, we are so often over but we're kept out because of race. But then if people wanna put a program in to reduce those racial barriers, affirmative action, whatever, then it said we only got there because of our race, right? And so there's always this, this angst around it. Um, and so I don't know, that's been um, frustrating for me. It has not stolen my joy uh, because this no, joy that I-, I have, I'm not letting anybody steal, but it's, it angers me.
0: Well, I I think of it this way. Um, So you want to identify me as Black. You want to identify me as a woman. Okay, I embrace it. I think that that's what she's saying. If if these are the factors you want to consider, fine. I embrace it. I represent it. I'm unashamed of being a woman. I'm unashamed of being Black. I embrace it. So it's a kind of in-your-face moment. This is how you've labeled me. I embrace it, and this is what I do with it, and this is how you have to reckon with it. So I think it, 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 in a sense, was a moment of, I'm not trying to act white. I'm not being white. I'm not trying to deny femininity. I have children. I have a husband. I'm all that, and I'm more. I'm all that and more. So I I, I think it's kind of a triumph, in a sense.
2: activist yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah. well welcome back to another episode of gin activist Uh, well we usually greet our guests with a welcome to our virtual living room (laughs) but today my it feels more like we've been invited to your house uh yes (laughs) (laughs) so thank you so much for having us and welcome to all those of you tuning in this is a special live episode of Gen Activist that will air later this spring as a part of our season two. And so we're just really excited that y'all have all chosen to take some time in your afternoon to join us. Uh, we are your co-hosts. I'm Virginia Cumberbatch. you will hear from Megan Harding in a few minutes. Uh, we're the co-founders of Rosa Rebellion. And then the anchor of our podcast is Dr. Rousseau, who we affectionately call G Mom, who's Professor Emeritus at USC, Um, and I guess we're just going to start calling her a professional non-retired, retired retired (laughs) (laughs) activist because she doesn't know what the meaning of (laughs) retirement means. Um, but Gin Activist is an intergenerational podcast that strives to amplify the amazing stories and work of women of color who we believe are doing what we call creative activism. And so what a treat it is to have Maya Watson with us, who, if you don't know, is the global Mm -hmm. VP, um, of the very app you are joining us from. And before we kind of get to the role that Maya holds today at Clubhouse, um, she's had some amazing positions um, where she continues to tell inclusive stories and more representative stories of the global diaspora. So she's taken up space at brands like Netflix and Harpo Productions, um, and we're just so excited to talk about sort of that common thread through each of those roles. But before we talk about your work today, um, the purpose you've been called to today, we'd love to learn a little bit about young Maya, um, who you were, what are the spaces that nurtured you, and how has that identity or perhaps identity set intention for your current work? And so Maya, thank you again for joining us on the pod.
3: No, thank you for having me. And it's so funny because bro- I see my brother in the audience, so this is going to be funny.
2: Um, <laughs> Hi, Maya's
3: brothers. <laughs> <laughs> hey, AJ. Um, okay, so I grew up in the Midwest. Um, I was born in Detroit, um, spent like zero to 10 in Michigan, and then moved to Minneapolis um, in elementary school. I have three older brothers, one of which is here, um, and two parents who both were in corporate America and left corporate America to become entrepreneurs. So You know, when I think back to my childhood, you know, really good memories. I think we had a really good childhood, um, very tight knit family. Um, And I think probably one of the more transformative, I think experiences is when my parents decided they were gonna leave corporate America. So my mom worked at IBM at the time and my dad worked at Xerox um, and they got tired of the corporate hustle, which now as an adult, I 100% understand. (laughs) And, you know, wanted to create their own thing and live life on their terms, um, figure out how to think about generational wealth um, and all of those things. And so, you know, we ended up having to move out of our, um, you know, suburban home into a two bedroom, one bathroom apartment um, for a good chunk of time. And, you know, me and my brothers um, shacked up in one bedroom um, and my parents were in the other bedroom and I distinctly remember them saying like, Hey, for the next couple years, you know, Christmas, isn't going to be as big as it once was, you know, we're not going to be able to have brand name cereal. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we're not going to be eating out. We're going to be, you know, cooking more from home, ordering pizza, watching movies together as a family. Um, it's where we learned to play cards, both spades and bid whist and you know it's because there was a sacrifice you know yeah. and i think that they took a step back knowing that if they could build this thing like it would pay off in the long run um and so i think that was really clear to me you know around the value of hard work the value of sacrifice and also like it's the moments that i remember most i think at that time you know like us all being together ordering like Vietnamese food, playing cards at a card table in a two-bedroom, one-bathroom apartment, and um, and so that was really cool to see that happen. Um, and then you know things blossomed. I think for me, like in terms of how I how I was as a kid, it's interesting because I don't remember this, but my brothers would tell me that I was really quiet when I was younger and I wouldn't talk very much, and which is crazy that now I. <laughs> work for a social (laughs) audio app that's all about talking. Um, But um, I think I was doing a lot of like observations, just like watching people and watching like, you know, body language and facial expressions and the energy in the room and the dynamics of people. Um, But as I got older, um, you know, my parents had uh, high expectations of us in terms of education, in terms of extracurriculars, um, I think I told my mom this recently, I was like, I think I was like a bit over programmed um, in terms of all the things that we had to do, you know? So everything from playing sports, I was captain of the soccer team, captain of the basketball team, managing editor of the newspaper, also play AAU basketball, you shout know? Shout out to soccer. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I would yes, so say, soccer. oh my gosh, you're just like a, a woman after my own heart, all this. <laughs> all the things. And so I remember we go from practice to practice in like the minivan, changing clothes in the car, getting like mm-hmm. subway sandwiches. Um, so we were always really busy. Um, and as my parents became entrepreneurs, they actually started to run our household like a business. And this is a story I tell often, which is, so when you have a lot of siblings, um, there's always this like, I wouldn't, it's not like a competition, but everybody's always asking for money, right? So <laughs> I need money to go hang out with my friends. I want to go to the mall this weekend. I want to get that new outfit, <laughs> you know, whatever the thing was. And so my parents created an invoice system for chores. So wow. there was like a whole list of chores and every chore was associated with like a certain dollar amount. So like washing the dishes for one day was like $5 <laughs> where um, mowing the lawn was like, I don't know, it was like 20 or $25 or something like that. And mm-hmm. so at the beginning of every week, it's like, you know, the week would start fresh. Me and my brothers would then like, you know, talk about it or figure out, okay, well, I'm gonna do this. You're gonna do that. I'm gonna vacuum, you know, AJ would be like, I'm gonna mow the lawn this week. And we would then have to submit an invoice by Friday at five o'clock to get paid <laughs> and have our chores inspected by my mom. And, um, and so, like things like that were just like normal in our household. We would talk about the business that you know my parents were building, and my dad would be like, "What do you think our slogan should be, or what what should our customer service philosophy be?" And so we always got to participate. We were always really heard, um, mm-hmm. and we also really created a sense of community with each other, which. I think even now as I'm older, like family is still the most important thing in my life. Yeah, I love that. My, I so relate to the,
2: we just had a conversation this week on like a thread with some other friends that are moms of like small children. They were like, what are you doing about chores and allowances and all that? And yeah. so I'm going to add that. I'm going to say, hey, y'all, uh, listen, <laughs> listen to this episode of the
3: podcast. Sorry. It was effective because you know what? Because yeah. it, it made you think about your week and you're like, man, I'm trying to hang out with friends this week and I need $30. Right. Then, you know, and so my mom was a genius because the house was always clean. <laughs> right. um, and then we got paid, you know, and, and it was like the worst feeling if you, forgot to submit the invoice. Cause you're like, but I did the work, I did the work. And it's like, sorry, you don't get paid. And so, you know, it's just stuff that was like I, preparing us for life and stuff. Well,
0: yeah. think, oh, funny, it reminds me of my children growing up. I think uh, your parents were much more successful than I am. I can remember my son who was about seven, six or seven then. And we had this little calendar and people did their work and how much you would get paid for it. And my son, I should have known that was a direction he was gonna take. He says, now does this pay include the tax? <laughs> <laughs> so, that's so funny. And yes, that's funny. So at least I think it sparked an entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. Um, but I'm really, uh, I'm a mother, grandmother. So when I'm listening to your story about family, it just makes me think about my family. My husband was a pastor and um, you said the word sacrifice, which was really important. So you've known, you know, you started out with, let's say privilege or at least comfort and then sacrifice and then moving beyond it. How do you feel that uh, period of sacrifice? Because we always told our kids that we're sacrificing for the good, for the good, the greater good. So I wrote some of my best poems and notes to them when I didn't have much money to buy them gifts. And so mm-hmm. but I'm wondering how you how you kind of look reflect on that and how you were influenced by either one and in, in a positive way, negative or whatever, but going from one extreme in a sense, not the absolute extreme, but certainly a change and the concept of sacrifice.
3: Yeah no that's a good question. I mean I think that <laughs> I mean, my parents have also been married um, this year. It'll be, I think, 42 or 43 years, 43 years this year. And so it's it wasn't also just sacrifice in terms of um, their jobs and what that meant for us in terms of, like, the means and, like, how we lived. Um, but also, I mean, we saw it with their marriage, you know, yeah. and being married for as long as they've been married, mm-hmm. you know, you realize that it's, you know, having a service mentality, my parents give away like almost 30% of their income um, mm-hmm. to the community. And that's always been the case. Um, you know, we were raised in the church. And so we also, mm-hmm. um, you know, my Christian faith is, is something that is the utmost important to me. Mm-hmm. And so I think that I, I was conscious and have been conscious that good things take time and mm-hmm. nothing nothing is really promised to you and that you have to work for it. And yeah. if you're willing to work for it and be disciplined and consistent and humble and ambitious at the same time, like good things can happen, but they don't happen overnight, yeah. you know? And so I think when I started to get to high school, you know, we ended up, you know, going from that two bedroom apartment to, you know, a upper or middle upper class neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I remember my friends in high school being like, oh man, your parents, like y'all are like doing it. And it's like, yeah, but you didn't see what went into this. You know, uh-huh. this, this wasn't just, it just all of a sudden it appeared like there were nights where, you know, you do get frustrated because you're like, I want those Jordans right. you know, or whatever yeah. the thing is. And you didn't, we didn't have it. Um, but well, I, I do think that, um, I do think that the watching them work hard just gave, me, gave us a realistic point of view of what life was going to feel like.
0: I love the spiritual part that you add to that because um, I think it's important for uh, children to grow up and say, how much is enough? How m- what's enough? Uh, and why are you entitled to so much more than someone else? How much is enough before you share? And say, that's enough for me. And so uh, I think that's such an important principle. And for good reasons. It's not as if you're You chose that. Your parents chose that for something bigger and better. Yeah. Yeah. I love the,
2: there's so much like overlap. I had the same experience, like, you know, a level of privilege, you know, both my parents were married almost like 30 years. Um, Travel, all that stuff. And then we went through like a really really rough period. My dad, my dad got sick, and so I think Maya, you talked about like how that period was the most formative when you're in that apartment. Those are like the best memories, and I feel the same way about about mine. Um, and also, I'm a PK. Virginia's a PK. Uh-oh. So you are like, <laughs> we, you are in. <laughs> Uh, this is Clubhouse. my
3: Do we need to go room. to church? <laughs>
0: exactly. Yeah. No, I love that. I re- <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: but I... <laughs> I-, I love that the G-Mom kind of like harped on the word sacrifice because I think about like your role now, right? Um, and what it means to do the work that you do at Clubhouse, um, period, but what it means in particular as a Black woman and what it's like to go into... Um, a space like tech and um, essentially bring all of who you are with you and also create space for us, you know, create, create space yeah. for um, yeah. people of color. And so I would love to just kind of talk about that. Like, what's it like being <laughs> in those rooms as a Black woman and, and how are you using your role you know, essentially to to be a disruptor of a space that, you know, often is not uh, built for us or, or conducive to our culture.
3: Yeah. I mean, you know what's so funny is I've I had this realization when I went to Netflix actually, that I think I spent the first ten years of my career at the equivalent of an HBCU almost.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, because I worked for Oakland right. Free for almost a decade. Yeah. And I was raised there like in my career, Mm -hmm. you know, I started there when I was 21 and I think I left when I was 30. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I didn't even realize that it was such a special experience because it was my first and only real experience. (laughs) And, you know, when you have a company that is led and run by a black woman, um, especially one who is so emotionally intelligent, spiritually intelligent and, Mm -hmm. Um, has incredibly high business... Like, she's so business savvy. Um, You know, so many of those things came into just our everyday, you know, where she taught us how to meditate together. She... We would pray at work sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, she would always talk about the importance of using your platform for good and to move society forward and all of these things that was just how she moved through the world and why she is who she is. And so... Um, that was so ingrained in me, um, that that's just, that's how I was built as a leader and as a yeah. person at work. And so wherever I go, it's like, it's kind of like being in the, like the school of Oprah and like bringing that <laughs> wherever you go into the world. Um, and so what's so funny is like entertainment I found was like pretty diverse and interesting because you have artists and creatives and and things like that. Tech is really the first time where I was like, oh, this is like pretty tech. <laughs> Right. <laughs> This is pretty different. And you know what's so funny is um last week actually, I um interviewed a candidate. I shared the story on LinkedIn. I interviewed a candidate, this black woman. And when I came on the screen, she audibly gasped. She was like, <gasps> <gasps> And I said, What? What's wrong?
2: Mm-hmm. And she
3: said, In my five years in working at tech in tech, I have never been interviewed by a black hiring manager. Wow. And today at Clubhouse, I've interviewed with two. Like she was genuinely wow. shocked, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Well, this is—I'm so happy for this moment." And she got emotional, and we didn't even really have an interview. If I'm being honest, it was such like a—it <laughs> was such like like a moment where you know she was talking about her experience in this industry, and so I am really fortunate that um, I don't know if it's fortunate or, or whatever the word is, but when Paul approached me for this position. I'm just kind of unapologetic about bringing my full self into yeah. a space and to work and if i'm not allowed to do that then i'll leave and yeah. because i just feel really confident in god's ability and my ability to land wherever i'm supposed to be mm-hmm. and um it, you know i said to him and like some of our initial conversations that you know if you hire me like i really care about black audiences i think they're super important to um a business's bottom line but also it's just good for society um, so I'm going to be really focused on how we super serve that audience. Um, I'm going to hire hire a super diverse team. And I really want people to feel like they can be safe here. And so, like, do you you know, is this an environment and all that? And he was like, yeah, that's amazing. So, um, you know, I think it really starts with who the leadership is. And we are very fortunate here that both Paul and Rohan at Clubhouse are very inclusive leaders, Mm -hmm. you know, Rohan is of Indian descent, and he and I talk often about the responsibility we have as leaders of color to make sure that we're using this position to move things forward. And so, you know, my team is 60% BIPOC, um, 80% women at Clubhouse, women hold more than 50% of the decision-making roles in the company Mm -hmm. and, that's amazing. And I think I didn't realize how good it was until I had that moment with that. I was, it. Yeah. You know? I yeah. was about Such, to say, it probably
2: runs really well because women <laughs> are, are holding those positions. I mean, you know, yeah, just,
3: I mean, we're good. It's we have a, a cool lot culture. of culture. Yeah. yeah. We have a cool culture. And we like each other and we work hard and, you know, we want to serve a a really beautiful um, global community. And I think like the the overarching lesson, the most important lesson that I I learned at my time with Oprah is that um, at the end of the day, everybody just wants to know that they matter and they wanna make sure that they're seen and heard. And that's especially important for people who have historically and traditionally not been seen and heard. And so, you know, wherever we go, whatever I do, that is like my goal is to make sure that people who don't normally get to be seen and who don't normally get to be heard, um, that we focus on them. It's such that piece of affirmation
1: is so critical. Um, and I, I, I think about, um, you know, it's interesting you're saying, you know, the beginning of your career kind of felt like you were attending an HBCU, right? And so to be nurtured in a space, you know, Megan always is, uses this phrase, right? so often as people of color, particularly women of color, we have to traverse and navigate these systems and spaces that literally were not built for us. They didn't have us in mind. In fact, there were probably mechanisms, policies that were put in place to actually silo us. And so to in order to support not only having to navigate these spaces that weren't built for us, but then be tasked with disrupting them, can be so exhausting, right? It's like this duality yeah. of having to exist in that space and yeah. then either um, uh, being asked to disrupt it or knowing that your ability to survive or thrive there um, requires you to disrupt it. And I was just talking to um, a, a young woman who works for a really large brand and she's the only young black woman on her team and she's, you know, in her late 20s. And it's just been you know back to that word sacrifice she's kind of had this motto or this mantra right of like i sit here that i can open the door for so many more right but i could it was palatable how the toll it was taking on her that no one else yeah. saw that as their role no one else took on that um that work and we know so often folks are doing that work or sitting in that space right and it's not being um you know reflected in their title or in their salary right <laughs> mm-hmm. you in the work yeah and so I think you know your uh, pathway right in some ways is unique but I think it has brought you to this position where you know what's necessary in order order to cultivate an environment that just authentically um, creates this space of belonging and inclusion and I was joking with Megan before we jumped on um, this podcast recording that I remember, when Clubhouse kind of had a huge kind of spark, right, because of the pandemic. And I was talking to some friends that happened to be people of color, and they were like, oh, Clubhouse is for everyone? We thought Clubhouse was just for us. We thought Clubhouse were for black and brown people. And I think that speaks volumes, right, about people's ability to feel like this was a space, right? That they, yeah. their stories mattered, their stories could be nurtured.
3: Yeah, I mean, here's the thing that I I think i become more conscious of as I get older, um, is that we don't actually have that much time here. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I recently read this book that just shook me, it's called 4000 weeks. Um, 4000 weeks, something about time management for mortals by this guy named Oliver something, and that the average person lives to be about 80. And that's equivalent around 4000 weeks. And for whatever reason, when you say 4,000 weeks, that doesn't sound like 80 years. Like it sounds short to me. Mm. And um, I'm just really conscious of, you know, we get this time on earth, we're all brought here for a reason. And what are you going to do with the time? And I don't mean in terms of like productivity and being busy. Like I mean Mm. it in terms of like, what are you going to do here? Like, how are you going to move humanity forward? Mm -hmm. How are you going to move society forward? And um, I think because of my faith, I have, um, you know, I'm scared all the time. Like I didn't know what I was doing when I came into this job, you know, like every time I take on a new thing, you know, I became a single mom at 19. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, And, you know, but somehow you figure it out and you have everything you need is inside of you. You know, it's just, do you trust yourself and the inner knowing um, to show up? And so when I am afraid and when it is uncomfortable and I'm, I'm often sometimes the youngest person in the room. I'm 36. Wait, am I 36? Yeah, I'm 36. (laughs) You know, you forget, you're like, wait, hold on. I'm Mm -hmm. um, I'm 36. um, I'm black. I am a woman um, and I'm a single parent, you know? And so I'm often one of the other kind of people in a room today. Um, And, you know, I think having, you know, Leaders and mentors and women and people who look like you pour into you, gives you the confidence to like keep going. And I, I had this woman who I worked for really early during my time for Oprah. She was like my um, direct boss, and um, she invited me into this meeting uh, because she was like, you have really good ideas and people need to hear your ideas. So I'm going to bring you to this like really important meeting. And you know, I went in there and immediately felt like, oh, I don't belong here. Um, I'm like the junior person in the room. So instead of sitting mm-hmm. at the table, I sat in the back of the room in the chair mm-hmm. and I just was like, a, you know, I was a, a witness and, uh, and just watched what was happening. And, and I was excited to be in the room, but I didn't feel like I had anything really to contribute. And so, and Oprah was in the room too. And, um, she asked me, she said, do you have anything you want to say? And um, I was like, "Nope, I'm just here to listen. You know? That's what I would have said.
0: <laughs> I'm just here to like, listen.
3: Uh, I don't want to like the boat. Like I'm just <laughs> happy to be here. And um, afterwards, my boss, she was like, what the hell was that? And I was like, what are you talking about? I thought that went <laughs> great, you know? And she was like, I didn't bring you in the room to sit there and be like a, like a uh, you know, to be a fan. I didn't bring you in there to just sit, sit back quietly. I brought you because you have something to say. And mm. don't ever, and she said, don't you ever go into a room and not make your presence known ever again. Mm-hmm. Like you, if yeah. you're in a room, act like you're supposed to be there, you yeah. know? And so mm-hmm. that is like the, but that was because a black woman poured into me and told me that, you know? Right. And so when I now show up, even when my voice shakes, or even when my hands are sweaty, or even when, <laughs> I feel like, I don't know what the fuck everybody's talking about, but like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna still make my presence known. And that's how we take up space, you know? And so because somebody did that for me, I'm so conscious of always doing that for others, you know, where it's mm-hmm. like, okay, that person's in the room. Are you making sure that <laughs> that young black woman who's just getting started in her career? Hey, what do you have to, you know what I mean? How are we pulling people up with us? Um, and that's why getting into positions, it's its really important to me where you can hire and make decisions because that's ultimately
0: how we make institutional change. When you say that, it reminds me of the book, The Spook Who's Set Beside the Door. So we're, we're at that door so we can open it up for others who come uh, and make sure they have entry. And so a couple of things you've said, the word sacrifices come up um, and and hard work has come up. And so this is a tension I think we all have to grapple with because I think that many of the things that have occurred for us as a people were because people sacrifice and, and sacrifice not just in terms of money, sacrifice their time, sacrifice their energy. I think of the old woman who said, uh, she's in the civil rights movement, she says, my feet is tired, but my soul is rested. So there's something in this legacy that we have that have allowed us to evolve and to move forward and be in places. I think inherent to it is a kind of sacrifice, but joy in the sacrifice, which I think is the other element of it. That there's a great, I'm not sure that Harriet Tubman um, (laughs) absolutely enjoyed in a certain way, sacrifice. to keep back and helping others and going others but i do think that she had a certain joy in her sacrifice in Mm -hmm. that life was making a difference for other people's lives and and i think that's part of our christian calling and it is up to us i think that's the thing and hearing you talk the key is to find joy in it and the source of that joy and that's partly because we're called, in a sense, to make a difference in this world. You know, the fields are ripe under harvest, but the labors are few. And and you look around, you want, how come more people aren't trying to do this? Mm-hmm. Um, you are one. And so you cannot shake off that. Um, and, but to do it in a spirit that there's joy in it is really important. And I have one more comment. Yeah. yeah, and what you're doing so many times, and it remind me of the hearings yesterday with um, K- Tanji Jackson and what she went through, uh, but what I think you are doing, and as an educator, we've not done well, but people like you from the outside are influences, is that you have given those coming after you permission to be and to be in places where for so many years black people felt like they were imposters they didn't belong well i can't do that technology that's not for black people and creating platforms etc i i i sense that you are you're giving permission for our voices to be heard and creating the spaces where they can be heard. That our children won't feel their imposters when they dream and they want to do things that are important.
3: Wow, <laughs> I feel like I want to. Um, I mean, I was gonna bring up um, Katangi um, Brown Jackson Ooh, because yeah, we're in this we, moment. We've all been feeling uh, that. I can't. <laughs> is, I know. I know. But you know what it is? What I think is like so many things are true. It's exactly what you said, um, Sylvia, which is one, she has she's she's better than anybody who ever came before her for this role, right? Which speaks right. to the the kind of the sacrifice I think that um people of color have to make, which is to be You know, five times better what you know, that whole thing that all of our parents and grandparents taught us, you got to be two times better to get half of where they've been. Right. So Mm -hmm. like that's on display right now is how excellent she is. And at the same time, it's very triggering to watch her through this experience because. (laughs) You see the inequities and the gaslighting and the discrimination and the disrespect all and all of the these. The triflingness. The triflingness triv- from the patriarchy. Just the right. in you see that. Yes. Yeah, you okay. see that on display from mediocre white yep. men. I'm just going to say it. Um, Thank you. <laughs> and, and you also, we have this pride of how proud we are of her, that she is going to be sitting at the highest court in the land for a lifetime commitment and the things that she's gonna be able to do to change history. She is a part of history. Mm -hmm. And there's this photo going around of her daughter who is looking at her with such pride, right? Mm -hmm. Because her daughter Mm -hmm. is like, that's my mom. Yes. And so like so many things are happening where it's like, you see the sacrifice on display. There's also joy for us to watch her in this moment. We're triggered because it's hard. Um, And it's hope for the next generation all at the same time, which is like, I think the black, the black experience, that's what the black experience is. is. It's like, it's It's an an amalgamation of all of those things. All of those things. And so it's not just one or the other. And I think that's why we're such a complex, Mm -hmm. nuanced, group that even in the face of tragedy we still find humor and joy and all old- oh my
0: God. we will you know always I mean? find humor.
3: You know, black squad
2: I mean man, it means, was it TikTok. reminded me <laughs> it reminded me of like that feeling we had when Obama got elected or at least, you know, mm-hmm. I I know I had it I think as a culture we had it, you know, where you're you're proud and and filled with joy. I remember just literally laying on the floor and crying and at the same time being terrified for them, yeah. right? Like what it means for them. And so there's that that like duality um, that we always have to exist with, um, which not everyone um, understands. And I almost posted about how triggering it was to watch these confirmation hearings. Um, and just, I mean, like by trade mom attorney, most recently a civil rights attorney. And so also understanding the job that she's going to go do. Right. And right. like the mechanics of it and the ridiculous questions she's getting about yeah. things that have nothing to do with the actual job. Yeah. Um, also is very frustrating, but I didn't post about it because I have been so triggered that I didn't want to deal with responses. Like, <laughs> I, totally good it. I didn't want to have to in- actually engage anyone yeah. responding. To me, actually, you know, expressing um, what it felt like, so I I just decided not to. But I I think
1: it's interesting, you know, because you you talked, you know, G Mom, G Mom actually has talked to Megan and I a lot about finding joy because uh, Megan and I have found a lot of comfort in trying to seek wisdom from G Mom about. Being in this position, in this posture, in this moment of like righteous indignation, like righteous anger,
2: right Just now, straight right? up. Just anger. straight
1: up
2: anger. <laughs> totally. And like, and Somewhere and, between and Ecclesiastes exhausted. and Job, you know. It's a mix. <laughs> right. That's no, my right. mood. <laughs> but you're fit-
1: we have to keep each other in check, not to become like paralyzed in it, where it becomes apathy, right? Given our job, right? Which we're called into spaces to be, you know, purveyors of racial justice and equity. And we're looking at G Mom like, you're 83 years in deep. We're in our 30s. Wow. And we're already tired. Mm-hmm. And you keep showing up over and over again. And our question isn't how do you keep showing up? Our question oftentimes is why, why? Do you keep showing up? <laughs> because these people are trifling, right? And, for uh, you know g mom is always modest but g mom was one of the first black women to graduate wake forest she was the first wow. black woman to be a uh, first woman and first black person to be the principal of santa monica high school in la she has set in these exact same Oof. seats as katani mm-hmm. is right now right and yet she endures and oftentimes her response to us is there's joy in the journey. There's joy in the struggle. There's joy in the resistance. Yeah. and
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know, there's a few times where I go, you know, "Dear mom, you're my grandmother. I love you," but um, I I don't I don't know if that's enough today. <laughs> Not <laughs> no, trying to no, hear no, that. Yeah. Not today, but there there is that piece. There's it's so complex, right? As we're watching, yeah. I listened to Joy Reed talk about kajandi and her um. experience at Harvard, which Mm. is very similar to my experience at Williams, Mm. right, where Mm. you feel this sense of, and you know, it wasn't so much my experience as much as a lot of my really good friends who are also Black women, of like, we should feel so lucky to be invited into this space, and we should just Mm. endure the interrogation of our presence, right?
0: Mm. And so
1: to watch her face is yeah. to truly feel viscerally. You're like, I know exactly how she's feeling. Yeah. 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 Right? Her
3: contortions, you know, oh, her facial expressions. Eyebrow, she like, yeah. The shifts in her chair. The composure. <laughs> the composure, right? <laughs> but, the composure. Yeah. But she and
1: also was- Oh no go ahead. I'm sorry. no I was just gonna say Maya and G Mom, you probably could speak this too is as we talk about the complexities of having to sit in these seats mm-hmm. there's also this piece of it that i'm realizing is that we've actually been fighting to be able to to demonstrate and express our full humanity our
0: full right. recognition
1: mm-hmm. which makes that so frustrating because we're like she should be able to show how ridiculous these questions are how angry she is that
0: all of these men especially hold up a candle
2: shouted her. and spit <laughs> in a chamber, like the drivel from his mouth.
0: <laughs> but, but <Yeah>. Right? What <laughs> what's important about her, she was not an imposter in that room. She owned that room and actually, um, she had, I just love Cory Booker yesterday. Oh, just that broke me down, G Mom. That broke me oh, down. Uh, yeah, I cried. He spoke up This is sister. I, that's that's what he was expressing you're my sister and you will not be alone in this room I am here as your brother and to lift up this struggle so I don't know and I don't want to be pie in the sky and I don't other but I think that she owned that room in a way that all of the ridiculous idiocies I won't call idiots but idiocies that were in that room were really the impossible. they were the impossible postures on what it means to have human rights and civil rights and and to human dignity. And I just have this faith that, you know, I don't know how God moves all the time, but I think in the long run, she was the victor in that room.
3: I agree with that. And I um, I think, you know, sometimes we want to, we have to also deal in reality, like it's not fair. You know, like, it's just not Mm-mm. fair.
0: Mm-mm.
3: Um, And it shouldn't be this way. And I think I, I hold similar beliefs, G-Mom, which is like, I don't always understand why God does what he does. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why he made me a Black woman, but I'm happy. I'm really happy I'm a Black woman. I love being a Black woman. <laughs> yeah. You know, even though it's like, it's harder and we're, we're starting from, you know, disparities and things like that. But I think that when I think about my four thousand weeks and my time and my waking hours here on Earth, I'm like, my hope is that my daughter, who is 16, it's she gets to be more free than I get to, got to be. Yeah. So you know? and yeah. it's it's about like how are we um, shifting society where everybody can be free and be in full expression? And so like, what's mm-hmm. going to be your unique contribution to that? And I think sometimes we feel like it has to be these big grand things, you don't have to be the Supreme Court nominee to, to, to do that. You can do that wherever you are, you yeah. know, at your job, with your family, um, mm-hmm. with your friends, with strangers on the street, you know, and just pouring into people and helping them realize that they matter and their voice matters and their contributions matter. And so I think that um, I oftentimes used to get frustrated as well, which is like, this isn't fair or Mm -hmm. I'm tired, which I am. Black women are just, I'm just always tired. Mm -hmm. But like, (laughs) you know, I'm (laughs) tired, I'm frustrated. I don't wanna do this anymore. I want things to be easier. And unfortunately, that's just not our reality. And so we have to live in a space where multiple things can be true. Multiple Mm -hmm. things can be true. Where like, I can be tired and take take rest Mm -hmm. and I have to get back up again. I will tell you this quick story. you know, when I was at Netflix, the the head of inclusion there, she's this fantastic woman, Verne Myers. She has this like, you know, big TED talk. She was a former attorney who then started her own practice. And and you know, Netflix had had some issues where um, the chief communications officer was fired for saying some pretty racial things. Um, so there was like, you know, uprising happening in the company and. They brought her in and she was like, I want to talk with the black employees first. And so we had this summit with her. And I remember because I was one of the few black leaders at the time, you know, I was like really frustrated. I was like, I'm so tired of this being the only black in leadership, <laughs> I'm so tired of these people da, 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 da. and I'm complaining to her, hoping that she's going to give me solace. Right. And she's mm-hmm. like, are you done? And I was like, uh, excuse me, right? you're supposed Here. to be like nurturing me and hugging me and holding my hand and telling me, oh, Maya, I'm so sorry, right? And she was like, yeah, no, I don't know why you were made a Black woman, but you are. And mm-hmm. so because you are, this is the reality you have to deal deal with. And she mm-hmm. said, how long have you been Black? And I was like, whole life. <laughs> she was like, right. And so you you have a phd beyond a phd in race in discrimination yeah. in and dealing with inequities and she was like do you think that straight white men go home and think about oh i'm so sad for black people do you think <laughs> they're thinking about black people over over dinner and i was like no i don't and she's like do you think they think about it when they're you know sitting in their offices doing their job about how they can help black people and i was like probably not it's she's like, you know, when they're skiing in Aspen or doing their thing, <laughs> do you think that they're like, oh, wow, I wish, you know, it'd be good if there was more black people on the ski. It's just like they're not thinking about that because it's not their reality. Mm-hmm. And so you are a master, a PhD student, and sometimes you're dealing with people who are in preschool, mm-hmm. who don't actually understand because they've never had to. And it's not because they're bad people all the time. It's just not part of their everyday. Mm-hmm. And so, would you be as angry if you had that perspective? And that really messed me up because I yeah. was like, oh, wow, you know, like we do have to meet people where they are. And again, it's not fair. And we don't know why slavery happened and all these things happened, but they did, you yeah. know? And because they did, it's like, what can we do today? yeah and it's not all going to be solved in our our lifetime it's not going to be solved Mm -hmm. tomorrow it's not going to be solved in one march or in one supreme court um justice but like that is progress you know Mm -hmm. and i think that's where the joy for Mm -hmm. me is like Mm -hmm. when i had that moment with that interview candidate Mm -hmm. that made me so happy i was like this is the best meeting i've had all week this Mm -hmm. made me so happy because i could see her response to that and how it changed how she, what she thought was possible, you know. Mm-hmm. And if we can do that, like I'm okay with that. I'm
0: okay yeah. with that. And you know what? It, it, she's willing, it, and it's almost Christ-like. And I don't want to go too far there, but she was willing to endure that. She knew they were going to do some yes. of this. She yes. knew that, but mm-hmm. she was willing to endure it for the prize, yeah. which is to sit on that Supreme Court and to spend the rest of her life as she desires, making decisions or making input or shaping, reshaping, uh, sometimes in subtle ways, sometimes in victorious ways, reshaping the way that Supreme Court sees itself in relation to the people. Even nothing else, her voice will be there every time decisions are made. So it's almost like Christ enduring the cross mm-hmm. for what you could see that we couldn't see and that's and we are often i don't want to i want to have a i I don't want my children to go through suffering and all that i don't want all that but it is the reality yeah see the prize that is there that is greater than you are Mm. that's the joy preaching I know we
2: always like how do you go after
3: well you know what because I think the other thing what I love about this generation too is like we listen we we will go to therapy child and what I I love about that is that we do have more emotional intelligence and what I'm realizing is that it's not denying our feelings because it is true yeah it it is hard I am angry I do have rage (laughs) I am sad. I get heartbroken. Mm-hmm. All of those things are true. But emotional regulation and health is yeah. also the only way through this, which Absolutely. is not denying your feelings. Right. But right. Sitting with them, allowing acknowledging to, them.
2: Yes.
1: Yeah.
3: Allowing yourself to
0: feel it. Yes. And part of our
3: yeah.
2: Part of our resistance, right, is allowing ourselves to acknowledge the full range of our, our feelings, mm-hmm. which is then you know giving ourselves permission mm-hmm. um to be fully human and and demanding that other people um give us the same right and and see us as fully human i remember when we launched rosa rebellion we launched our first program called rebel and rest and it's around this idea of just extreme fatigue especially for the people who are doing this work racial justice work disruption and that can look like traditional activism, front lines, the marches, all of that. Or it can look like what you're doing, Maya, in a company disrupting from the inside, carrying your full identity with you and trying to create space for others. And so we wanted to create a space that was so that we could just be, we could we could rest, we could heal, we could kind of lay down that burden in group with people who had um, the same experiences. Um, because we recognize like there is a real toll right there's a real cost um to the work that that we do but then on the other side kind of a lot of what you know G Mom has kind of uplifted and you too maya is that the work is also the ability to to imagine right what what kind of these oppressive systems and and disparities and racism tries to steal from us is our ability to imagine something different and so I hope that in this confirmation hearing, in the work that you're doing, my and the work that we're doing at Russell Rebellion, certainly the work that G Mom has done, that you know, kids like um, Judge Brown, Judge, sorry, Judge Jackson's um, daughter, get to imagine something different. You know, that the woman that, that when you opened did the interview and she saw you, that now she can imagine something different. Um, and so I also think along with holding on to joy, we also have to fight for our um, ability to to imagine a, a new way forward.
0: I agree. Yeah.
3: And we deserve to, to you know, one of the things that I've struggled with um, that has like been present for me in therapy is like I really equate my worth to success mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I equate Like value in doing. It's very American. (laughs) Very American, and I also think like, yeah. And so I, I'm really trying to um, be really conscious of also spending as much energy as I spend trying to fight the good fight. Also taking care of myself. Yeah. And that they're inextricably linked. Yeah. Yeah. That like, how
1: can we sustain this work? right yeah. if literally our souls and our minds are depleted right, right? i i think about that quote and i'm going to paraphrase it from tony morrison And she talks about the greatest disruption right that racism has is our ability to distract us from our work mm-hmm. and so like if we don't replenish ourselves if we don't give ourselves permission to just be sometimes to sit in the full complexities of what it's like to be people of color to be black women right to be women um then how are we how are we able to create to innovate and to contribute right, right to this work and to our community
0: yeah you don't have anything to give if you don't replenish yourself and i think that that's some of the good work that you make and Megan are doing by acknowledging young women who are coming along um, celebrating their work giving them moments of joy you know joy comes in moments as well just and uh, giving them just moments to love themselves, love each other, to reflect. Um, so it is a combination. You do have to replenish yourself. Um, but the struggle continues. That's the reality. The struggle continues. Uh, yeah.
1: So, Maya, what in this season, you know, as we kind of wrap up, in this season, how are you pursuing joy and rest? Um, and what in the season is kind of um, allowing you to create space for those things?
3: um that's you know I, i'm working on it <laughs> um, <laughs> and all of but yeah but i think, yeah. um i'm really in this um space of thinking about my needs first um and you know what do i need so like for instance i was supposed to travel for like to go somewhere with friends and i was like you know what i'm really tired and i feel like if i make this trip i'm gonna you know, be out and about, and all, and I'm going to be more tired. So I, I respectfully bowed out. You know, like just following the flow of myself is something that I'm thinking about. I'm realizing that there's certain things that really bring me joy, like preparing and cooking a nourishing meal is like in the top three mm-hmm. things for me. Oh, of like that. just being like really mm-hmm. present with like plant based mm-hmm. foods and things like that. Um, I'm trying to allow myself to. I mean, a, a big act of self-care that I do sometimes on the weekends is I'll delete Twitter and Instagram off my phone. Maya, yeah. you my, I don't delete it. I literally just don't open it. But like, it if I if I don't Megan. delete it, I'll open it. Cause <laughs> I, I don't trust myself. So like, I have to delete it off my phone mm-hmm. and, you know, take that time back because I will go through the scroll and the mm-hmm. what's everybody else doing and get caught up in the day-to-day, who's the main character today and um you know so like i delete the app so that i can be more present um i love watching trashy reality tv like i can't Me help too. it what's your I favorite love, oh real housewives hands down uh, Okay, uh, all right all right mine is married, and, at and, uh, Mar- <laughs> married at first sight first you know, sight
1: then we can also say like it's a sociological project you know yes
3: like- no that <laughs> that and um love is blind i'm yep, obsessed with love is blind said. You know, but like things like that, where sometimes I would feel guilty. I remember being like, oh, we shouldn't be supporting. And I was like, you know what? No, this is amazing television. I'm so happy. You're also, you know,
1: you're employing women. You know, so there's that part too, right? Just going to at least say at the end of the day, you know what I'm doing right now? I'm investing in women entrepreneurship,
3: okay? Yeah, (laughs) I love reading books. Oh, I love reading so much. And so like... I'm trying to get back into reading. Um, you know, and so I'm, I'm making a list for myself because it was really daunting probably five years ago. I was working with a coach and and he said, so what brings you joy? And I was like, uh, uh, you know, And, and he was like, okay, yeah, you, you need to pay attention to what brings you joy and, um, you know, because I became a mom so young and I just I went straight into the hustle, the grind, rise and grind, rise and grind. And, um, and now it's about the art of doing nothing sometimes. It is about, mm-hmm. hey, um, I don't need to add that meeting to my day or I'm going to cancel my meetings for today because I just need the day to just lay on the couch and just veg out with my dogs, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. just following my flow, um, and really trying to replenish myself has been such a fun journey to be on, as fun as the, you know, the good fight of breaking down doors and all of that. Mm -hmm.
1: Love that, love it. Such a great reminder. Um, There's so much alignment, you know, Megan and I are, um, like I think telepathically she's saying like, wow, is she talking about you right now, right? (laughs) She's learning how to, from you know I'm one of four kids I'm the granddaughter or you know of a of a grandmother who had four five kids and there is this sensibility I think particularly as black women as people of color right that we're constantly doing right and mm-hmm. our doing is what we align with our value mm-hmm. right because that's how we have mm-hmm. been able to um to ascend to certain roles and platforms right is by constantly being the doer. And there is something so powerful when you get to a place in your life. And I am just now coming into that, right? Where you're like, oh, my value and worth isn't based on what I do, right? My yeah. purpose and what I do are not the same thing, Correct. right? And that mm-hmm. I believe rest and my peace of mind mm-hmm. is something um, mm-hmm. that not only am I worthy of, but it is, it is what I'm called to do, right? That I can totally. do this work from a place of, peace and a place of rest whereas i think we were always thought even 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 if unconsciously that we were constantly doing this from a place of fatigue and resilience right oh we're so resilient as a people you know and i'm like you know yes we're resilient but we also can do this from a place of joy we can also do this from a place of rest we can tell our friends who love us, hey, I'm bowing out of this trip and I'm just going to go sit on the couch and watch Real Housewives. Yes, you know what? Because uh,
3: I'm like, if Jesus took naps in the storm, so am I. <laughs> <laughs> so well.
0: <I. laughs> that is so good. <laughs>
3: uh,
1: that, that might be the, the quote of the episode. <laughs> That's the quote, right? That's the quote of the episode. And
0: I'm learning to do that. that there's some days I get up and I want to do this and I do that and nothing's working. And I've finally learned <laughs> now that five kids are grown, <laughs> I Well, I'm not going to do anything today. I'm just going to rest and restore myself. And it's such a good feeling. So we go through seasons and days um, with a common purpose and direction. But we have seasons of rest and seasons of work.
3: Well said. You remind me so much of my grandmother. Um, And, you know, one of my favorite memories with her, is you know she'd be in her house and she had her routine where um in the afternoon she watched Will of fortune and jeopardy and <laughs> um it's 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 i still do it today um and i'd be like aren't you just, like you know don't you get tired of just like doing the same thing she's like you know she raised um seven children as okay. well and um yeah. you know sacrificed a lot yeah and mm-hmm. you know her kids are such a beautiful reflection Oh, of who she was and she's yeah. like no I get to rest now you know and just yeah. watch you all you know do your thing so, D- really so you
2: should you should uh you know listen <laughs> Mom has retired like a million times and never rest we're always trying to get on her calendar because it's here. although um, when she came to Austin for South by a couple of weeks ago I
1: tricked her into getting a manicure and pedicure and she was actually very grateful so
2: I was very proud
0: of her. She yeah. <laughs> I'm proud of
2: her too then. Um, Maya, I have just loved this conversation. Um, we're so grateful that you allowed us into your living room um, just yeah. to, to have a conversation about all the things and disruption mm-hmm. and what it's like to be a Black woman in tech, but also just our kind of universal human experience as Black mm-hmm. women. Um, and so thank you so much. It has just been a
0: pleasure uh, to you. talk to you. Thank you, and thank you for all for
1: everyone
3: for coming to Clubhouse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is,
0: thanks for having us. It indeed has been a pleasure. Just a wonderful conversation with you.
3: Oh, yeah. Thank you, G-Mom. I'm so happy mm-hmm. I got to be in the same space with you. So much wisdom.
0: Well, mutual, it's mutual. <laughs> <laughs> all,
3: right. Well, all right, y'all everybody. have a good day.
2: Bye, Bye y'all. Bye, everybody.
0: Bye. Take care.